welcome back to the program. It's the 123 show with me, Sadia. And it is a Wednesday and it's two o'clock. That means we join Cruz McCallaghan. And today she is fully powered up and charged and ready to go because she's going to be talking about batteries. That was a good intro, wasn't it? Chris, it was fantastic. Afternoon. I appreciated every one of those puns, Sadia. <laughs> I thought you would anyway. So now, Cruz, I always ask you that, you know, what inspired you to talk about batteries? And I can imagine with kids around and things that <laughs> need batteries, it's on your mind. Yes, it is. And it's also that, um, it's just that, I think the other day I was out and to try and appease my children, I'm not promoting this as a parenting <laughs> technique, I bought them each a piece of sort of plastic tat from a shop <laughs> to quiet them. I, it was a low moment, right? Okay, I know. We all have done other, it. We've yeah, been there. All right. We've all been there. And, um, and the man in the shop, I think out of sympathy for me, actually, at the time, <laughs> um, said, I'll put some batteries in for you. Aww. And I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was so grateful to him. But um, I realized that, you know, it's it's that funny thing, isn't it, of, of batteries and having batteries and when something runs out of a battery at home. Um, I'm quite lucky that... Um, my husband is obsessed with all things tech and power and cables and things like that and got really into rechargeable batteries um, as soon as they kind of were coming out. Like just the same like little AA or How AAA. amazing are those? Seriously. Yes, absolutely. It's quite amazing. And I kind of like, he quietly got on with just doing that because I guess in our home we're just so tired of having to constantly change batteries. It feels quite wasteful, you know what I mean? Mm. Kids are using something a lot or we're using appliances and things. And you're like, oh, it's run out of battery again. Um but, you know, that, that really ch- was a bit of a game changer. And I realized that actually there's so much about the development, development, evolution, innovations of batteries that has affected the way our modern life is today, mm. right? And <clears throat> right down to the fact that, you know, the, it was about 10 years ago, people were walking around with the brick, you know, the cell phone brick. Yes, yes. Right? And today, you know, we have these quite flat little things in our phones and the battery lasts it could last a couple days really Mm. if you didn't really you know Mm. it's incredible that we have a whole computer we can put in our pocket and it's the battery life that enables that to be a useful thing because if it was running out of battery every hour it would not be useful right Mm. yeah no it'd be really frustrating that's right um and of course now we have like of you know electric cars becoming what they are today um, although, you know, do you want to hear a statistic on this? Today mm-hmm. I read, this is a bit of a side note, idea. Mm-hmm. But I'm um, thinking about Elon Musk and the billions and billions upon billions of dollars he has. <laughs> I read a fact today that if you had made, or I had made, 295,000 US dollars every day since the birth of Christ, <laughs> you still would not have Elon as Musk. As much as he's got. Uh, oh my goodness i thought you were going to say you know go back 50 years 60 years or whatever you still wouldn't uh, to going back to jesus christ i mean for goodness sake like okay it's yeah it's quite insane anyway yes that's a (laughs) beside the point the point is though that it's incredible seeing this you know what being able to have a battery that can run a car effectively has changed the ability for people to have an electric car. Like a Tesla is a cool thing to have, right? Mm. I mean, I don't have one. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you have one. No, <laughs> like, no, I don't. I don't have a Tesla. But, um, but, you know, like, that's an electric car. And it's, you know, it's incredibly sophisticated because of its ability to harness battery-powered energy, that you're not stopping to recharge your car every 45 minutes, right? You know, mm. that lasts for you as long as it lasts. 
So they're quite interesting. So I wanted to kind of go back in time a little bit. Oh, and then the other thing that happened recently is we opened up something old that had been like, I think it was some old toys from childhood or something. And we opened up the back of the toy. Yes, and the battery had become a nuclear disaster. (laughs) And it's that that feeling of like, oh my God. They're awful. Like, you know, it's a completely, you know, it's horrible. But actually, that was a battery that was literally decades old in something. Mm. So, like, it makes sense. But today, there's a lot more sophistication that goes into them. They're a lot more, um, you know, they're, they're not as damaging as they once were. Um, there's all, you know, there's this thing of uh, recyclable batteries as well. So, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, let's look at the development of the battery. Mm-hmm. So, we can go all the way back to a man called Luigi Galvani in 1780. And he was a biologist, and he performed experiments at the University of Bologna, um, which with frogs. Okay, so it was a bit of a sadistic thing, I think. But um, when cutting a frog's leg, his steel scalpel touched a brass hook that he was holding the leg in, right? Okay. Okay. And the leg twitched, right? So further experiments confirmed this effect. And he was convinced what he was seeing were the effects of what he called animal electricity, the life force within the muscles of the frog. He was wrong. Spoiler alert, he was wrong. But at the university, um, Galvani's colleague, Alessandro Volta, who we'll get to in a minute, was able to reproduce the results, but skeptical of what Galvani thought it was. By experimenting, Volta found that it was two dissimilar metals not the frog's leg that produced the electricity. Mm-hmm. The frog's leg was just an indicator of the presence of electricity. Oh. So then Alessandro Volta, about 10 years later, he was a big admirer of Galvani, um, and he repeated Galvani's experiments many times with many different materials. And from these experiments, he came to the conclusion that it was the two dissimilar metals that was producing that electricity, right? So. He developed, from this experimentation, he developed what's called the voltaic pile. Um, And the original voltaic pile consisted of a pile of zinc and silver discs between alternating, um, and between the alternating discs was a small piece of cardboard that had been soaked in salt water Mm -hmm. and a wire connecting the bottom zinc disc to the top silver disc could produce repeated sparks. Okay, so this was him very sophisticated experiment if you think about it and he built different piles using 30 40 or 60 elements and this enabled him to study the action of the pile on electric fluid depending on the number of elements and he confirmed that the electric shock increased in intensity with the number of elements used in the pile <clears throat> if more than 20 elements were used the electricity became painful so obviously <laughs> Testing it on himself, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the first piles constructed by him comprised alternating zinc and copper discs, and each of these was, you know, so it's all these kind of interesting ideas that he was kind of thinking about how you create that electric charge using metals. Then we also have William Sturgeon in around 1830. He was an English electrical engineer. And now in 1821, he built the first practical electromagnet. Um, which is pretty interesting. Now, a major problem with the voltaic pile that was made by our friend Alessandro Volta was that it could not provide current for a sustained period of time. Right, so that's what we're thinking again. That's that storage of energy, right? That release of slow release of energy. So Sturgeon, William Sturgeon, worked on the problem and in 1830 produced a battery with a longer life than that of Volta by amalgamating the zinc. 
Now, contributing to a major problem with batteries was a thin film of hydrogen bubbles that formed over the positive electrode. And the film, thin, um, the film of hydrogen caused increased internal resistance of the battery. I hope some GCSE science is coming back to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it's kind of in there somewhere, but I it's in there somewhere. Yeah, all right, on, carry on. <laughs> Long story. They basically found that there was like inherent certain weaknesses with certain um, materials and that any impurity in some of the materials could cause erosion of the electrodes which were needed for conduction, all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Very long story. So then we, we can skip even further ahead. So there's a couple of other guys who took this on and did some different things. Um, and, but when we really get to the, um, the interesting stuff is when we get to probably 1899 with... Waldmar Junger, who invented the nickel-cadmium battery. And at that time, materials were expensive compared to other battery types available, and it was limited to special applications. Um, But he did a lot of research on this, and that's where we get that kind of nickel. And we still use nickel a lot Mm, mm. in batteries today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, this is quite interesting. Then, of course, you have, like, Thomas Edison, who most of us have heard of. We might not have heard of several of these Italian men, but we have heard of... Uh, Thomas Edison, um, and he started his work on the battery in the 1890s, just after the motor car had been introduced. Um, And at that time, the petrol engine was still unreliable, and steam and electric cars sold in large numbers. But, of course, one problem with electric cars, even back in 1903, was that lead-acid batteries that they used were extremely heavy, and that the acid inside corroded the lead, shortening the useful life of the battery. So, again, they're like, you know, you can make a battery, you can make this um, reaction that creates electricity, but when you think back on it, the kinds of sizes of these batteries would have just been mind-blowing. They would have just been huge, huge, yeah. huge, huge batteries. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite, a, it's quite a difficult one in that. So then um, we skip all the way ahead to kind of like, um, if we look at like the kind of new... Um, we, we always see that thing of like alkaline batteries. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have seen it on something before. Mm-hmm. So the, this is a guy called Lewis Uri in 1950. Um, he got a job working for the Ever Ready Battery Division of Union Carbide in Toronto. And then he moved into this area of research to create a better battery. So he developed the small alkaline battery in 1949. The inventor was working for the EverReady Battery Co. And EverReady is still a brand of batteries we all know, right? Yes, yes. And now alkaline batteries last five to eight times as long as zinc carbon cells, which were their predecessors. And so he had lots of failed attempts at doing this, and he tried lots of different things. But... The car, um, he found that the alkaline battery was really much more effective. Now, today, our batteries, um, we have a lot of, you know, rechargeable battery systems. We have nickel, cadmium, nickel, metal, hydride, and a variety of lithium-based cells. These are all 20th century development. Mm, and mm. It's, it's so easy to just kind of dismiss them. You just buy them. They're pretty, like, an, a disposable battery is pretty inexpensive, mm, right? Mm. Um, you buy it. You don't think about it. The amount of material science, innovation, engineering, and you throw it away. <laughs> that has That's gone right. into this, yeah, to, yeah. to the, the creation yeah. of these little power cells is absolutely mind-blowing, right? And it makes sense because... You know, the more we can do with batteries, the more that you can do in terms of so many things, in terms of even like it has a knock-on effect to so many different kinds of industries. I always think about people like 
with pacemakers in their hearts or like needing medical devices and not having to recharge something, you know. Mm, um, I remember really when I was amazing. a caregiver year, years ago and working for someone who um, was a wheelchair user and they had an electric wheelchair and having to um, help the individual charge the battery for the wheelchair. And it was this thing, I mean, it weighed. I can't tell you what this mm, battery weighed, imagine, yeah. you know, and you had to like lug this thing around and you had to charge it for about 10 hours and then it would give you, you know, like four or five hours and it was just and I just keep I always think to myself with the um I know that people are putting the fanciest batteries in Teslas but I'm like I really hope that people are also using batteries for these kinds of applications that could really change people's lives when you think about it you know I remember Um, I remember starting in broadcasting and we used to have a massive recording machine and the battery was the thing that was that was the heaviest part of it and you would have shoulder aches after you did it was called a ewer it's a German one and you, you know your shoulder was ache afterwards but it was because you know it had a massive battery in it Oh my gosh, it's mm. exactly that though. And, and now when you think about it, the kinds of size of device that we have, that like even like nanotechnology, meaning that something can be powered by the tiniest, tiniest, not like we can't even see a battery, you know, so it's quite remarkable in that way. Um, and of course there's like a lot of, but of course they do have an environmental, they do have an environmental mm. cost because they are disposable. Um, I think people are starting to shift more to, uh, res- um, uh, rechargeable batteries and of course the other thing that's going to be interesting on the horizon is like the speed of recharging something so the faster yes. that you can recharge yes. it so it's not just the fact that something can be recharged it's how fast you can recharge it and it's always it's not what you think it's not just because people want things quickly but um it will also help to shape people's behaviors because if you think that oh if you've ever had I've no, I've definitely had this problem. Like late at night, I've been doing some work on a computer, and like my mouse has run out of battery or something like that. Mm. And you think I need a battery for my mouse to continue doing this thing on my computer, and then um, I have to go and I can't find a battery in my home. I can't. I have to go out to a shop late at night to try to find a battery. It's just the most frustrating thing. Mm. Whereas if you know something's able to charge in under half an hour. You know, that's pretty remarkable, really, in what it allows us to do with our time. Yes. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting in that way as well. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's quite a fascinating thing. Oh, the other one that I think is very interesting as well is, um, like, the way that batteries are designed to be kind of smaller and lighter and things like that, um, and something like an application, like a hearing aid. Yes, you know, like of course, that right. Somebody ha- yeah, so that somebody can have something that is small and comfortable and effective and safe, you know, that you want something to be safe. You know, there's something scary about <laughs> unstable old school batteries that do seem to explode in the back of your remote control for the TV, right? You don't really want that tucked behind your ear, I can imagine. But, you know, there's that incredible thing where that's that, that steady discharge of electricity and energy that you can be using for something which is like a personal device that somebody really relies on, you know? Um so it's quite amazing. Even things like watches or um, cameras, there's like a lot of reasons that um, batteries are what they are in terms of how they're enabling our modern lives, which is quite interesting. Um, but I've never done this experiment, actually, even though I feel like it's a common one at schools, which is to um, make a battery from food. Have you ever done this? Food. Food. Um, okay. Yes. No, I don't think yes, so. Yeah, <laughs> so like, have you ever done those? Um, I, I honestly don't recall doing it at school, but I feel like I've seen it in pop culture, like making a potato-powered light bulb and things like that. <laughs> oh, I can't admit, I, actually, I don't recall doing that. 
I, I'm just thinking, did I ever do that? No. Did you ever <laughs> Sounds do that? interesting, though. No. <laughs> yeah, you should ask your ask your kids see if they ever did it. So it's like um, the, they say that the best foods to use to make a battery from your things in your own pantry, and this isn't going to be something that's going to charge a device, but it's just interesting to see, uh, like fruits and vegetables with high levels of poly- positively charged ions like potassium or sodium. Okay. And so, like, you can use a potato or you can use a lemon, and there's um, ways you can just rig up a little circuit to it and use it as a battery from food. I mean, obviously, this is just purely just to demonstrate the fact that they have positive ions. It's not actually going to be like a way to sustainably like power a fan or something with a lemon. <laughs> um, um, but yes, just so just just to manage your expectations there. Um, <laughs> I, I won't try it with potato. It's right. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. um, the other one is, you know, batteries, you know, can kind of last for generations and generations. Um, but unlike, um, you know, like produce, a best before date on a packet of batteries doesn't mean that they do need to be binned. But the performance of a battery does reduce over time, but it may still release energy for a long while, right? So it's kind of interesting in that way. Um, Some people have said, like, you know, they found um, old hearing aid batteries from the 1970s that still have some power in them, um, which is quite amazing. (laughs) And um, even, like, those little devices, you think, has anyone ever changed the battery in that? The, the one that I find I really struggle with is the smoke alarms in my house. Oh, yeah, because when the battery starts to go, they yeah. start going beep, 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 yeah. beep every so often. Oh, my goodness. Oh. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. And I'm like, I feel like those those are sorts of batteries you need to make sure are, you know, are definitely up to date and fully powered. But I also feel like those are the ones that go the fastest. <laughs> and the ones on, on weighing scales, because I find that oh, once yes. the weighing scales, the batteries are going, your weight starts to change and you think, oh, I've lost so much weight. But it's actually the batteries that are going. So, um, oh, my goodness. Know. I wish you hadn't told me that. I would never <laughs> have thought of that. I, I would double very check. Yeah. I, I just kind of tried very hard to fix my weighing scales and I thought, and I was just absolutely delighted until I realised that the battery was just a bit low. Oh, so. wow, that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, the other thing we, we have a problem with with batteries and disposability of batteries is that they're not particularly recyclable, right? So that's a problem we have at the moment. Although, actually, even though they get a bad reputation, there are two ingredients in consumer batteries that can be very positive for soil, and that's zinc and manganese dioxide. So these actually break down into various salts of zinc and manganese, which can act as micronutrients. So that's really interesting. So there are some people who are taking an initiative where they take old batteries and they're being used to grow like corn or produce, um, which is amazing because all the batteries that have been made are still probably not properly being disposed of right now, even if you're changing them out for rechargeable ones, right? Mm. So, That's yeah. amazing, isn't it? Oh my goodness, it's a whole world out there, isn't there? Oh, well, <laughs> I have two very quick quotes. Okay. Um, the first one is, batteries are the most dramatic object. Other things stop working or they break, but batteries, they die. That's from Dimitri Martin, who's a comedian. I thought it was quite funny. And then Bernard Manning said, I once bought my kids a set of batteries for Christmas with a note on it saying, toys not included. (laughs) Well, you were very lucky, I must admit, when you bought your little um, things to amuse your children, that they actually gave you batteries, which is quite a nice thing to do. Very, very kind. Very kind indeed. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Cruz. Um, I can't wait to hear what you're going to talk about next week. I really can't. I'm, I'm going to have to just kind of do some bets and decide, you know, given your environment, things like that. Yes, and, you do. And do that. <laughs> Thank you ever so much. That's brilliant then. We'll talk to you again no next problem. week. All right. Take see care. you then. Bye bye.